not change and that he cannot change. We live in a world where everything's up for grabs, everything changes. We ourselves are, our hearts wander, our, we change. Yet God, you say that you will not change. When you say you love us, that, that you stay loving us. When you forgive us, you you keep forgiving us. When you pour your mercy over our lives, you continue to pour mercy over us. When you show grace, you continue to show grace. You're not the kind of God that wakes up one morning in a bad mood, deciding to withhold your grace and your love from your children. You are the perfect father. You will never change. And our souls sigh in in relief knowing that we worship a God that will not change. We find peace. We find our breath. We find our life. We find our hope. We find our joy in the fact that you you are who you are. Every morning you pour out new mercies over us as your children. And this morning just through worship we our hearts, our souls are refreshed being reminded of just who you are, how beautiful you are, how powerful you are. You are the lion that roars on our behalf. And you are the lamb who lays down his life on our behalf. Our heads can't get around it, but our hearts do. Somehow our hearts get to you, our Lord Jesus. And we thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab your seats. Morning, everybody. I have a confession to make this morning. I think I'm at risk of not being invited to the UK next year after last night's or yesterday's rugby match. I got very, very, very happy on my cell phone and on WhatsApp, and I took it to myself to voice message every single UK friend that leads a church, cheering and shouting and screaming at them. Some of it is, you can't hear what I'm saying, but they got it. Eventually, a few of them said, Arno, please leave us alone. We are not listening to you today. We'll listen to you tomorrow. Um, so in case, if you hear next year that our, our trip to the UK is cancelled, you, you now know why. Um, I rubbed it in severely. Um, but we are super excited for what happened yesterday. I'm so proud of Sia and just the way they conducted themselves. And um, as a country, clearly we are just love the fact that we beat the British. Um, just a few quick um, little side notes. We, we excited. Emmanuel, help me. We are on podcast as a church as of this week. So from now on, we're going to be uploading our sermons. You can find it on our Facebook page. You can find it on SoundCloud. But now, if you, if you search on podcasts, you're going to find it on, on Apple Music, etc. I searched it. It's got a logo there. You can listen to our preachers on Apple Music, too. Super excited about that. Um, and then also, just can I just say a massive well done. I think we've got 45 or so plus folk that are signed up for the theology course for next year, which is crazy. That's, that's like mad. Um, so we're super excited you want to study God's Word. We're just going to work out the details of, of how we're going to do it. We'll let you know as soon as we can. But um, it's closed. We've got our group together. If you're desperately, desperately keen and you want to still sign up, please speak to, to us this week. We need to start getting 
our groups together and logistics ready for next um, week. We're in the process of um, preaching through 1 Peter, if you've been with us for a while, and we're in the last chapter of five chapters. Aren't you excited? Yay, we are. You are. I know you are. Some of you told me that you're excited that we're coming to the end of 1 Peter. Um, This is the 15th preach out of 19, so we've got four more to go. We will land before Christmas, I promise you. We're not preaching 1 Peter into Christmas, so you can be relieved by that. But this morning is a kind of passage that's normally reserved for preaching and teaching to elders, people that want to become elders or pastors in the church. It's not something that we normally preach to the congregation. But I thought about this message this morning, and I went, and I thought of, it's like me sitting as a child, and my mom and dad are sitting in a counseling room, and the duomni comes, or the pastor comes, and he tells my dad, this is what a real husband looks like. But he's telling the dad what a real husband looks like in front of his kids. Can you imagine the pressure? Kind of, hey kids, this is the kind of dad your dad should be. You can imagine the conversation after that. And this passage that one Peter, or Peter's writing to the church, is, is geared at elders. He wants to focus elders' attention. Remember, they are, they are ex- experiencing persecution as a church. Remember that not everything is going their way as a church, etc., etc. Um, and in this, he's wanting elders to lead. And Peter spends four verses in instructing how we should lead within the church. And so for you, if you're not an elder, if you don't feel called to be an elder in the church, um, this is applicable because you get to choose the kind of people you follow or should be leading you in the church. It is important for the church to hold the church accountable. The church needs to know, hey, this is godly leadership and this is not godly leadership. We need that in the church. And so this morning we'll equip you in that way. Another way that, we, that this is applicable to you is that we are all called to lead and serve the church and the gospel in our lives. And so to, to all of us in the church, every one of us, we are called to serve the gospel. We are called to serve the mission of God and the church of God. Um, Peter and Paul speaks about the priesthood of all believers, basically saying if you're a believer, you're called to a priesthood. If you're a believer, you're called to serve the church and the gospel and the mission of God. It means that every single one in the room this could apply to with our attitude towards how do we serve Jesus and the gospel and the mission with our lives. So you can't sit here this morning and go, I'm glad I'm not an elder, but boy, I'm going to hear how the elder should live. I want you to go, hey, I want to, I'm a priest. God has called me to serve my community, my city, my family, the gospel, and the, on the mission of Christ. And we're going to read together, and then we're going to break it into four big segments, and we're going to look at those things together. Let's go to First um, Peter 5, verse 1 to 4. It should be on the board for you to read together. The elders who are among you are exhort. I'm encouraging you. I, who am a fo- fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And then he comes to the instruction part. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers or elders or shepherds or co-shepherds, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, who's that? Jesus, when he comes back, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Beautiful passage. Should we read it again, just so that we can... I love this passage. The elders that are among you are exhort. I'm encouraging you if you're an elder this morning. I, who am a fellow elder and and a witness of the suffering of Christ, am also a partaker. Remember the suffering and the glory last week. A partaker in the glory that will be revealed. 
And then the instruction in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, see the contrast here, but willingness, not by dishonest gain, but eagerly, not, not as lords over, entrusted to you, but as examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Let's pray and ask God to open our hearts and our minds to his word. Lord Jesus, thank you for all of scripture. We thank you for passages like this that, that might be, we might be tempted to go, this doesn't apply for me. And I pray that, that the truth of your scripture, that all scripture is God-breathed and, and beneficial to us, to our equipping, to our strengthening, to our sharpening, that you would, you would show us, that you would illuminate our hearts, that you would challenge our attitudes this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we know Peter. Peter is a church leader. He's one of the key church leaders in Jerusalem, one of the most influential leaders in the first century church. He is one of the big guys. He's, he's, if you, in, in those days, if you spoke about the Christian church, Peter would be most probably the most significant. Him and Paul would be the two big names that you would know. He was also an apostle, a member of the inner circle, the, the closest three to Jesus. He grew up and he walked with Jesus. He was there. He witnessed Jesus being taken up into heaven. He was the guy, one of the, the few that saw Jesus actually leave and transcend into heaven. He was the human instrument that God began to build his church. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. He, he actually had Jesus speak those words over him. He, was, he stood and preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people came to salvation. This is, this is Peter. Imagine that, a rock star in the Christian faith. He's one of those big boys, big names that when, we, when he walks in, he carries some weight. But he's also Peter, the the one that, that betrayed Jesus. He's also the Peter that, that said things before it should have been said. He's also Peter with a big mouth that says things that should never, ever be said. Um, he's also the one that lets Jesus down. He denied Jesus in front of other people. So he's not the perfect guy. He's also got some serious, serious weaknesses. And I think um, why it's important for us to realize that is whoever God calls to lead in a local church context is a bit of both. There's superior gifting and, and calling on people, but there's also superior or inferior failures in every person. So we, we as a church believe that as leaders we want to give our best to God and we trust and we lean heavily that God would gift us and give us the gifts to lead, but we're also aware that we all have frailties, we all have weaknesses. And so my weaknesses might be different to Sia's, Sia's would be different to mine, his strength is different to mine, and so we work in team as elders. But this idea is important that we understand as the church, for you to understand, for myself to understand, I need to remember as a church leader that I'm not perfect. It's good for me to understand and remember that I'm not perfect, that there are many, many things I still need to learn in my leadership in the life of the church, but I'm also, I need to remember that I'm also vulnerable, that I have sin that I have to deal with. I have issues in my heart before Jesus are constantly, and you need to know that. I want you as a church to know none of your, your pastors or elders are perfect. If you get to know them a bit, you'll quickly know that. You're going to go, no, um, no surprise, Sherlock, we, we get that. But we also want to know that we're called by God, and God has called us to do this by His grace. So we're going to look at some of those things. And so even though this is addressed mainly to elders, it applies to all of us, because it applies to the attitude is, how do I serve God? Do I even serve Him? Am I called to serve Him? I think it's dangerous as a Christ follower, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, it's extremely dangerous for you to say, I'm not called to a priesthood. I'm not called to service. I'm not called to serve the gospel. Or I'm not called to be a missionary. We don't see that in Scripture. In Scripture, every Christ follower, every person that decides to follow Jesus or Christ calls to follow Him is viewed and seen as a missionary and as a priest to their city. It's just we're all called to serve the gospel. So this is extremely applicable to us because it's going to talk to us 
about our attitude towards how we serve the gospel. And we're going to look at how we serve. Peter talks here about our heart attitude. This morning, we're going to look at the heart and how do we serve God? With what attitude do we serve God? The four ways we look at. So let's go verse 2, where he speaks to us. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among... It's about ownership. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. See, God has entrusted many of us to this privilege of shepherding and of eldering. Some of us in this room, some of us one day will be caught, become elders. Some of, you, some of us have been called to lead life groups. You are co-shepherding with the elders in the church. But the emphasis here is the fact that the flock belongs to God. This is God's flock. This is not Arno's church or C.S. church or the elders' church. This church ultimately belongs to God, and He has given us authority, delegated authority, to serve and lay down our lives. It is a privilege for us to serve and lay our lives down for you as the sheep or the, the flock that God has given us to shepherd. But never ever in our thinking, in our attitude, do we dare think that this is our church. This is my church. I'm, I'm shocked. You often hear people refer to churches in the city. Ah, th- that is James's church. And you go, who's James? No, James. He's the guy that leads the church. And I feel like saying to them, actually, can we have a conversation? It's not his. It actually belongs to Jesus. It's God's church. This is not your church to play around with. But it's amazing that we live in a society where ownership of the church is so often linked to a person. That's so-and-so's church. I want to ask you as everyday people to, to refrain and help us as elders to never ever to refer um, to everyday people as Arno's church or CS church or whoever the church is. Help us and help our city by never referring to this as so-and-so's church. Let us speak of God's people, God's church, when we speak about ourselves. It's never my flock. It's never my church. Now, at the same time, we, we lay down our lives for this church. We take ownership of this church. We, we take ownership of serving and laying down our lives for you. But we do that in, as co-shepherds, as under-shepherds. We do it because we've been asked to do that for, for God. And we understand that we're not the, the main shepherd. The main call here for Peter is shepherd the flock of God which is among you. I've put your presence before power. Even as shepherds, as those who lead, even if you're leading a life group, even if you're serving others, you can't serve without first experiencing the presence of God. So as shepherds that shepherd others, we get to experience the, the chief shepherd ourselves. So honor and whoever leads as elders, our, our responsibility is to experience being shepherded by the great shepherd. I have to, I want to, I desire to be close and walk close to God so that what I, when I stand up on a Sunday, when I lead you as a church, I'm leading from receiving from the chief shepherd. I, I've been with him. I've experienced his presence. I've experienced his love and his joy and his power and his grace over my life. And when I'm getting up on a Sunday, when we're serving you with God's word, etc., we're not just serving out of honor or out of myself. I'm serving out of receiving and having received from the chief shepherd. So you get a... You get a bit from where we've been, the kind of stuff we read, the studying that we do, the prayer that we put into our prepping. When you, what you receive on a Sunday is something that we have received. We are, we are the recipients that we give to you, and you receive with us. Peter, Paul speaks about, I planted, Apollos watered, God, and his, in, God gives increase. This idea that our role in churches change. 
uh, we had the privilege of transitioning this church for, for, for many years. And we, we, we through the transition, we had the privilege of leading our church through a name change six or seven years ago. We have the privilege of leading the church right now. And if you look at everyday people, if you look at Greenfields, Greenfields as a church is over 80 years old. This is our season. I did not build this building. I, I as a young guy, 33, were asked to lead this church, the, the church, uh, this church, but we weren't responsible for building it in the last 15 years since we've been here, we've done painting, we've taken pews out, we've put carpets in, we've done a bit of work, but I'm, I'm not the person that built this building. I get to preach here every Sunday, I get to show my friends when they arrive, and they say, hey, let's look at everyday people, where's your venue? I get to say, look at this beautiful venue. Did I, did I build it? No, I didn't. I, I'm the recipient, I'm in the next stage, it's my, my chance to run, it's our chance to run in this facility. But we never forget that we are in a race together. We are taking the baton from, a, from one generation to the next. And we, we never quite know what God has got for us. We're not sure what the season is. I can tell you in the beginning stages of our transition that there were many times we said, I'm not sure that, I like, that, that I'm running this part of the race. Have you ever been in one of those, um, those um, what do you call it, relay races? And there's a, there's a part of the race that's really, really hard and tough, and it's not the, the glamorous one. It's like if, you, if you've done the 100 meters relay, the, there's the, 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 I think it's the third leg right in the one corner in the athletics. I used to hate running it. Why? Because no one sees who runs the third leg. Everybody sees the first leg, and everybody sees who comes home. But nobody sees the third leg or the, th- the second leg or the, thir- the fourth leg of the 100 meter dash. Everybody sees the guys coming home for glory. And don't, aren't we all a bit like that? We're all the ones that... Put me lost. Can I be the one to take our team home? But we don't get to decide that. You and I don't get to decide the season that God calls you to lead in the church. And I'm talking about not just elders, but as leaders. We get to lead through all seasons. And it's His doing. Let no man, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the ministry of God. We are servants of Christ. Uh, A Methodist minister, a friend of mine in Cape Town once said, to his congregation at his ordination, he said, I'm here, I'm going to lay my life down. I am your servant. I'm going to lay down my life. But I take my instructions, not from you, but from God. Our instructions as your elders, as leaders, come from God. We obey God's word and we lead according to his word and his purposes. And we serve that to you. And we lay down our lives as we do that. But we don't take our instructions from what you desire, from what you want. Do you, does it make sense as a as a church, I know it's, it's harsh to hear that sometimes, but we, you, you, we appreciate that elders and those who shepherd the flock shepherd on behalf of God. And they do so by laying down their lives for Jesus. Within the same context, Peter is talking about tend, tend to my sheep, feed my sheep. The instruction that Jesus gave him earlier, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep for us as elders, the main way that we feel and we believe God's call us to feed you is through his word. We want to preach God's word as clearly as possible. We want to make sure that you as God's people have an appetite for his word, that you love his word, that you understand his word, and that you can go home and you can apply God's word to your lives. You know, I can take this word and I can do something with it. It's not just something, it's not just a head knowledge. No, I can do something with this word of God. I can change my attitude. I can, I can serve God. And Peter calls for that. He calls for this commissioning. We, we calls us to a sacred thing, a sacred trust of, hey, come, let's serve God. This is God's church. When we worship you on a Sunday and we hear your voices from behind, we stand here going, God, Lord, these are your people. These are your people. These are your, your precious, this is your precious flock that we get to lay down our lives and serve. 
I get to spend, because of your grace and because of God's grace, I get to spend every waking hour, almost of my life, of nothing of sport, on the church. I get to read, I get to study, I get to pray, I get to get involved. I get to give my life to this church. And it is an incredibly high calling. It is an incredibly high privilege to lay down and to serve a church and a people. But on a Sunday when we worship, and, we, and our backs are turned to you, and we're worshiping with you, we, we stand and we go, this is God's people. This is not my people. This is His people. This is His precious, and we don't ever want to forget that. It's about serving, Peter continues, serving not by compulsion, but willingly. This is a tough one. It's a hard one, because often in church, it's a tendency in human nature. We start serving with incredible vigor, and we love serving. We love getting involved, but it doesn't take long for our service to God to become duty or or tedious, or become a strain, or become, it lacks the joy and the, the keenness. Isn't that true for all of us? We start off, well, that's rare, we're going to go for it, and then it doesn't take long for the willingness or the joyfulness to, to become religious duty. And we find ourselves five, ten years later down the line, serving in the church life as a leader or as a pastor, we're going, why are you doing it? You're going, actually, because I have to. I just have to, it's my job. I've signed up, and there's no one else to do it, I'm just going to Unfortunately, I just have to keep going. I want to almost say to you, when you, if you're serving from that p- position in your heart, you might as well not be serving. You should rather stop serving and say, well, let's just take stock of why I'm doing what I'm doing. God is intensely, intensely interested in our motives. He watches and He wants to know why are we doing what we're doing. I've spoken to friends at lead churches um, just the privilege that we have with having friends when they're going through rough seasons where they literally use the words, it feels like, oh no, my church or my ministry is a prison sentence. I have no way out. I can't leave them. I don't have anywhere to go. I just have to keep going. And it's not unusual for us to, to, to find our place, ourselves and our place sometimes in serving even God and even serving His church to find yourself in a place saying, this is, I'm, I'm stuck here. I can't get out. And if that's you as a leader in this church, if that is you as a leader in this church, I want to say to you, please speak to one of your elders. Please have that conversation. Let's talk and see what's happened. Maybe something else has just taken priority in your life. Maybe your season in this is coming to an end and God wants, you need to release yourself and just find some space to breathe. Maybe your soul needs to sigh a bit. I love that line in that song, My my Soul Sighs. Um, I'll never forget when I was singing, I just remember um, we... I somehow made it, I flicked it into the, like the border rugby team at school level, um, and I wasn't fast enough or fit enough, my dad didn't think anyway. And he used to take me up a hill, like a 150 meter uphill at a bend, and we used to sprint it, and he used to test my fitness by how long I would take to recover from the sprint until I could go, you know when you're taking a deep breath and your, your lungs almost click over, like, like that click over. Um, anyway, so he would test my fitness by how long it took me on a stopwatch from sprinting it to being, my lungs being able to go, kind of thing. And this morning when we were worshiping, I thought, hey, I could, see, I could see Father God saying, hey, come to me and just find that place where, you can, where your lungs can click over, where you, where you can sigh, that, that healthy sigh. Where, oh, when that final whistle blew yesterday, <laughs> and we all went, oh, it's over. We are the champions. We can celebrate. And this invitation to us in ministry is that our souls can find the place of sighing. If you're running at a pace, you're serving the church or you're serving God at a pace where you're never finding space to breathe, where you don't find space for your soul to go, you need, 
you need help. You need to talk to someone. You need encouragement. Sometimes I've had conversations with, with, with men that are leading churches, and they would say things like this, Oh, no, I'd, I'd rather be somewhere else. I don't want to be in my church or my city anymore. I'd rather be in another place. I'd rather find another church. I'd rather find another people. I'd rather find another ministry. Peter reminds us that, that we should serve the Lord and tend His flock willingly. There needs to be a, a willingness and a keenness in us to do so, willfully, voluntary. Not because someone's begged you, not because you have to, not because if I don't do it, someone's going to think less of me. If I don't do this, they're going to think less or they're going to, they're going to like me less. No, 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 there's a, a willingness and a keenness, a freedom to say yes and a freedom to say no. And I know as a church leader, it's so dangerous to say this because I did this when I was a young guy. I think we were in this church for two years and I got up and I had this brave preach about God wants um, obedience better than sacrifice. And I, and I preached this preach. I said, if you feel that whatever you're doing in the church is just sacrifice after sacrifice, and you don't feel that God's called you to this thing, won't you tomorrow come and resign from your position? Monday morning, we arrive at the little church office next door, and there's literally a queue of people that are standing going, oh no, you said it, we're out of here. The lady that did the tapes was the first. I'm never recording a tape sermon in my life again. You can have it. Then the person that did coffee or something said, we're out of here. Before you know it, and then the senior pastors in the church going, oh no, what did you do on Sunday? You have everybody resigning. It wasn't me. I think we, when we got here, there were a lot of people that were doing stuff for 20, 30 years without getting a chance to breathe. A healthy church, you get to serve willingly, and when you feel you need space to breathe, you're able to say, I can't anymore. Time out. I need to refresh. Someone else can take over the race for me. A healthy church works like that. And we do our best as a church to, to work structures and rotations so that you're not on every Sunday, that you get the chance to go off and go, hey, next Sunday I can actually take a Sunday off and just walk into church and not have to open windows. Ha, huh, how beautiful is that? I can arrive a little bit later kind of thing. And we get to do that because others take turns with us. But we want to learn, and we need to learn as human beings, to say yes to things, but we also need to find the grace to say no and know ourselves. And I'm, I'm convinced that the elders would back me up. If you're feeling at a place where your soul cannot sigh, where you're finding you're running at a place that's killing and burning you out, and it's legitimate, we would love to help you and have a conversation with you. I'm not at the office tomorrow morning, in case any of you are wondering. It, thirdly... <laughs> Thirdly, it's about, it's about others. Serving not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. We should not serve for money or personal gain. We, we are living in a context where many, many folk in our country start churches, start preaching, start planting churches because there's a way to get finances or to go to get finances. I want you to know that there is no... There's very little motivation in your team that this church around finances. Two of the elders in this church don't get a cent from this church. They actually run their business, their lives, and they give their time to eldering and to serving. C and I are the only two full-time guys here. The word, yeah, that they mean is, um, and the, it's quite strong language that Peter's using here in the, in the early days of the church. He uses language, um, sordid gain or filthy money. He said, if you do ministry for money, he calls it sordid gain or filthy money. That's dirty money. Never take money. Don't do what you're doing because of money. Don't do what you're doing for the church because the church is going to pay you. Um, we, ha we have the opposite in this church. We have a beautiful 
generous spirit in this church. We, when we offer people some finances for the work that they're doing to, to ease their lives or ease stress in their lives, most of them go, no, we don't want it. <laughs> we, don't want to, we don't need money for what we do for the church. But there is a time where the church has to pay for certain things. So you, when we give on our offering and our tithes, etc., we give it to people. We, we give it to the work of the gospel. We give it to the mission of God. The blessing of God cannot be upon us when, we, when our motives for serving Him is for finances or for money or for personal gain. Now, money and gain, everybody goes, yeah, that's easy, honor. But there's other personal gains that comes with ministry too. What about personal pride? What about the, the pride of I'm a leader? I've got others that follow me. I'm in charge. Personal power. The, 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 the gain of recognition saying, oh, you're the guy that leads. You're the elder. Wow, we all look up to you. And certain people need that affirmation. Certain people lead because they want the world or they want the church to go, wow, you're doing so well. Wow, you're such a great guy. And I'd be lying to say to you that there's zero of that in, in people's hearts. I'd be lying to you in honor that it's not nice when you're doing well for people to say, well done. And it feeds your ego, but you go, oh, I'm doing okay as a, as a leader. And we hate hearing where we're failing and, and we, we're kind of miserable when we fail in certain things. Or power. Folks, some people are just wired to love being in charge of other people. It's, just, it's weird like that. Some people get off or enjoy being in charge of others, making the decisions, being harsh, and being, being in charge of everybody else. And if that feeds you in leadership, I would rather say to you, rather say no to leadership if that's what it is. If you're leading because it gives you power over people, if you're leading because it gives you influence over other people for your own personal gain, Rather tap out and say, hey, I'm going to check myself out here. This is not why we want to do what we do. In many, many churches, the pastor is the center of attention of the church. So who's the pastor? Who's this person? Or maybe the worship leader is the center. We build around personalities in this age. We build churches around personalities. Who's the main preacher? Who's the main worship leader? Who's, who's the personality? Instead of asking, what kind of churches are these people building? What kind of people are they producing? What, kind, what do their disciples look like? When we hang around their, their church folk outside of church context, what are they like in the business place, on the sports field, socially, etc., etc.? That matters more than who the personality is. But we are driven by a personality culture in, in the 21st century, and so it feeds into, I think it's something that you can pray for for your elders, is that, that we wouldn't be caught into that culture, that we would resist that culture that, that wants to point everything towards those who are or getting platform, or gets to speak, or gets to preach. And then he changes gears here when, when it comes to eagerness, or when he speaks investing in the lives of others, so that the highest calling and privilege that we have is that we see others grow. Peter says, would you invest your life in others? Would you take what you've got and give it away? Would you invest your love, your, when, you, when you're preaching, when you're doing your work, would you do it to serve others, not yourself? Remember the gospel changes our, we often use this term, the gospel changes our, our inward curve on, that curves in on ourselves, me, myself, I. When the gospel, when Jesus comes into our lives, the, by the power of the Spirit, He changes us outwards. He changes the focus of our lives outwards towards others, away from ourselves. And so when you're a leader, in the, a gospel-influenced leader, your focus becomes others. You live for others. You ask questions, what's good for them, not what's good for me? How can I serve you, not what serves me? Sounds familiar, eh? But this eagerness, this, uh, the word here is a forward spirit, uh, this, to serve with eagerness, brisk and cheerful readiness 
brisk and cheerful readiness and willingness to serve others. How's your attitude? What is your attitude like at the moment towards an area in your life where, where you have been called to serve others? Is it brisk and cheerful and ready to go and serve them? Or, is it, or have you reached a place where this is like a prison sentence. I have to do this. No one else is going to do it. If I don't do it, no one's going to do it. I think the lesson in life is that we see, and it applies to the church, is that everybody is replaceable. God replaces people. It's weird how he does it, but he does it. We think, we, if I don't do this, no one else can, No, no. But trust Jesus. He will find someone to do that job in his kingdom. But we don't ever do it because of us dragging our feet because we have to do it. We do it because we get to do this. It is a privilege to serve others. It is a privilege to lay down your life and my life for someone else. And sometimes you get tired of doing it. Sometimes you're going to have days where it is exhausting living for others. I, we get that. You will, you will understand that. F- take a break. Take a weekend away. Do whatever you need to. But come back fresh so we can readily, cheerfully, quickly charge and serve and lay down our lives for others. I read the, this one article um, in preparation, and they, they spoke about church leaders, and they said some leaders within the church treat their job in leading church or in the church with the same attitude as taking out the garbage every week or every day. It says, like, it's a chore that I have to do. I hate doing it, but if I don't do it, I'm going to be in trouble. Hey, that's like, it's me. It's my sons in our house meant to be kind of thing. And I know if I don't do that, then Claire's asked me, and she's going to ask me again, and then it's going to escalate. So I'm going to do it now before it escalates. And I do it because it's a chore. I hate doing it because it has to be done. And sometimes we can take that attitude into, the, into our church work with God. We can think, I have to do this. If I don't, other people are going to think badly of me. They're going to tune me. They're going to moan at me. Let me just do it because I'm going to get it done. I pray that none of us live like that. I pray that if that is where you are in your walk or your service to Jesus, that, that he would refresh you, that you would understand that this is the incredible privilege that you and I have in laying down our lives for others. And lastly, Peter speaks about it's all about example. Serve not as lords over those entrusted to you, but being example to the flock. If service is beneath you, leadership is above you. Not seeing that little thing. If service is beneath you, leadership is above you. If you're not prepared to, to serve and do the, the worst job, the smallest job, the, the most menial, the, mon- the one that gets the least attention, if you can't do that, you should never ever lead in God's economy and God's kingdom. That's just the way it works. God has not, not called us to be dictators over our flock or his flock. We're not even called to be benevolent dictators. <laughs> I've heard guys use that phrase. But I'm benevolent in my strong leadership. I dictate benevolently on their behalf. No, that's not what Jesus has called you to. You can't put those two words together and think it's going to soften the idea of being a dictator or, or pushing it alone. And building in team, being an example to one another. There's a, when you land at, at O.R. Tambo, I think it's on, on the international side, even domestically, there, there's a big billboard. It, I think it covers from that wall to that wall. It says an African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This idea of, no, 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 we're happy that we're going to run at the pace of who we are. There's a, there's a humility in running. Um, I watched the Fijian rugby team practice. I was watch, 
I don't know, flicking channels, waiting for some, some match to come up. And I saw the Fijians train um, on the sand hills. So the Fijians, obviously island, lots of beaches, and they have these sand dunes that are 30, 40 meters um, high, etc. And then they put them into pods of four or five, and they say, come, let's go, we're running. And they sprint up the sand dune with a rugby ball passing while they're sprinting until they are absolutely demolished physically. But the idea is that you do it and you only get to the top when the last guy gets there. So you wait and you drag your team. So as the day carries on, the longer the day goes on, the more you see teamwork come into place and they start dragging. Now remember, Peter's talking to the church here that's under persecution. They're going through an incredibly tough season. And he says, hey, lead by example, elders. Elders, understand that your people are suffering. Understand that they are tired and that they are weary, that they need rest. Lead like, be with them. Don't be living in a place where they're not with you. Jesus practiced the servant style of leadership. We see that all over the New Testament. Jesus, time and time again, taking the towel, wrapping it around his body, washing the feet of his disciples, washing the feet of the one that's going to betray him. No one on earth was beneath Jesus to serve. No one was, he was, Jesus placed himself right at the bottom of, of the rung when it comes to servants. He says, I'll serve anybody, even the one to betray me. I will serve that person. And we are to learn from Jesus that, that no one in this planet is beneath you and I stopping and serving. There is not one person on this planet that is, that is, that is too low or we are too high for, for us to serve. And we set that example and we need, and we should all as church leaders set that very, very example but in every way we lead by example so as a church we call we call our church a missional church that we want to live missionally we want to we want to be engaged with our friends that don't know jesus we we want to be the kind of church where people that don't know jesus come to church not just on a sunday but when they gather or they meet with us that we are going to have the tool set or the skill set or the heart to want to share our lives with people that don't know jesus some of you are in church this morning because people stretch their friendship circle to include you to hopefully bring you to Christ one day or to bring you back to Christ if you've wandered away from him. So we can't every Sunday or when we talk about a missional church say, hey church, you're missionaries, go be missionaries, do great work. And then you say, Honor, do you have any unchurched, unsaved friends that you're having meals or you're hanging around with? And Honor goes, no, no, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm the pastor here. You do the work, you the missionaries, you bring them, I'll do the, the pastor's work. No, no, you have every right as a member in this church to expect what we call from you to be applicable to my life. We say, would you give your finances to the church? You have every right to expect honor and clear the brain to give finances to this church. If, you, if we call and say, hey, would you be missionaries? Would you have meals with friends? Would you befriend people that don't know Jesus? You have every right to have that expectation from honor and clear. If we say, hey, be faithful to the church, you have every right to expect that we lead by example. That's why eldership is never ever something that you achieve. It's not an achievement. It's something that's recognized. Eldership is recognized. You see people live in a certain way and you're going, ah, they they live like elders. Let's make them elders. So how do you become an elder? You live like one. (laughs) You own the vision. You You own what Jesus is doing amongst us as a church and then it is recognized. But we model it. We are meant to be a printout and what People say, what kind of churches are you leading? Don't ask your pastor. Look at the people. What kind of people are you? People say, what kind of churches, everyday people? I'm saying, ask our people. Go meet our people. Once you've met everyday people, you'll tell me what kind of church we lead. 
not the kind of church I like to lead or the kind of church I think I'm leading. No, no, no. You, you everyday people, this is, uh, this is us. Is it, that, um, is it a program that you watch? This is us. It's beautiful, hey? But this idea, this is us. You, you are us. This is everyday people. You're not honored a brain. You're, everyday people is not honored a brain. No, no. It's Langa. It's Johan. It's been where? Safariing for two weeks? Yeah, I can see it. Be gebrand, ne? Yeah. Sunblock, sunscreen at your age, Johan. Hey? This is everyday people. It's Nokaya. That when I'm in an, an emergency and I can't get my password or my ID enough, I phone Nokaya and say, help. We use our contacts. Hey? You, every, this is our church. If he's London says, what's everyday people like? I'll go meet our people, go hang with our people. And we trust you. We, we know who you are. We love who you are. You're our, you're our best adver- advertisement as a church. Not just for us as a church, but for the gospel. And if you don't like our people, there's a good chance you're going to like our church. You might not ever come back. So we hope you find some of the better ones this morning if you're on you. <laughs> I'm only teasing. I'm teasing. And Paul speaks about pressing on towards the prize and the upward call that God is in Christ for us. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. We're doing this. I do what I do because of I, want, I want Jesus to smile over my life. <laughs> I want, Jesus, I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful honor. I'm doing it for his attention. I'm doing, when we worship, we worship it for him. But when we serve Jesus, we serve him for him. Because we want to make him proud. We want to show people that he matters more than anything else. And then Paul speaks about eldership and leading and serving in the church. He says, desire this. You should desire, every single one of us in the room should be desiring to lay down our lives for others. We should, I, want to des- I would love to lay down my life. I would love to inconvenience my life for the sake of the gospel. I would love to inconvenience my life for the sake of others. I would love to, to invite some discomfort into my life for the benefit of others. There should be a desire in us. Why? Because our Savior lived like that. Because Jesus did it, what He wants, I want <laughs> What he's done for me, I want for my life. That's my model. That's my example. He is the chief shepherd. He is the chief example that I want to follow with my life. Jono, can we, we're going to have communion together. I want to read a, a verse to you or two, and then we're going to break bread together. And I want to focus this morning, when we break bread together, is just to remember again this incredible example that Jesus set. And the cross is his ultimate example of love and leadership. And in Hebrews it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to, so closely to us, and let us run with endurance. Listen to some of the words, because it's very similar to what Peter spoke to the church. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And verse 2 in Hebrews 12 says this, Looking to Jesus... This morning we're looking to Jesus at the cross. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus begun and he will complete our faith. He, he who is faithful to begin a good work is faithful to complete the good work in you and in me. The founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, 
because of the joy set before him, endured, endured the cross. The joy set before us. If you've lost your joy in serving Jesus, if you've lost your joy in following Jesus and obeying Jesus this morning, my, my big prayer is that you would rediscover your joy. That, that Christ, that the Holy Spirit would help you reignite the joy of serving and doing. I don't know what your, your role is. I don't know what your, your job is. You might just be a dad in a family going, at the moment I'm serving my family in the gospel. I'm leading my family towards Christ. If that's your job and that's your, I'm asking God this morning, would you restore joy? If you're leading a life group this morning and you're in charge of, and, of facilitating and leading and facilitating a life group and serving people the gospel and discipling people, I'm praying that God would restore your joy. If, you, if you're responsible for opening the windows on a Sunday and being here early and making sure that when we walk in, everything's set up, I pray that this morning you would see the joy. Why do I do this? There's a, there's a bigger reason for this. If you came in early and you baked cake for next door and you're making coffee or you're serving children on a Sunday, I pray that you would receive the joy of Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's get to our feet. We're going to worship. I'm going to ask the ushers to, and those who can to help us hand out the cup and the bread. Would you hold it? And we're going to pray once we've sung the song together.